Good evening. Missile and bombs rain death and destruction on Ukraine as the First Lady makes a visit to a school. The abortion debate heats up. A rally for legal cannabis gets a visit from the Senate leader. And 52 years since Kent State was a shooting instigated by a police agent. With these and other stories, I'm Paul Durienzo with the WBAI News for Sunday, May 8th, 2022. Dozens of Ukrainians are feared dead Sunday after a Russian bomb destroyed a school, sheltering about 90 people in the basement. Explosions, meanwhile, echoed across the Black Sea port of Odessa. Reportedly, six cruise missiles struck, damaging a factory and several high-rise buildings. Two missiles struck the airport. And Monday, tomorrow, marks Victory Day in Russia. That's the defeat of Nazi Germany in 1945. That's the victory they're referring to. Reportedly, Russian President Vladimir Putin may change the status of Russia's incursion into Ukraine from a special military operation to a full-scale war and a broad mobilization of troops. The Kremlin has denied the reports as untrue and nonsense. Meanwhile... Jill Biden made an unannounced visit to Western Ukraine on Sunday, holding a surprise Mother's Day meeting with First Lady Olena Zelenska to show U.S. support for the embattled nation as Russia presses, presses its punishing war in the eastern regions. She became the latest high-profile American to enter Ukraine during the war, while Zelenska public appearance was her first since Russia invaded Ukraine on February 24th. Biden spent about two hours in Ukraine traveling by vehicle to the town of Uzhorod, about a 10-minute drive from a Slovakian border village where she had toured a border processing facility. And here in the United States, arson investigators were probing a fire Sunday inside the headquarters of anti-abortion group Wisconsin Family Action in Madison, Wisconsin, where someone had spray-painted a message outside the building. It wasn't immediately clear who vandalized the building, but the message, if abortions aren't safe, then you aren't either, was spray-painted. Uh, outside the facility, the president of the lobbying group, Julianne Epling, said she considered the fire a direct threat against us, given that it happened just a few days after a draft of a U.S. Supreme Court opinion was leaked, suggesting the court may soon overturn the Roe v. Wade decision that legalized abortion. In related news, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer said on Sunday the U.S. Senate will vote on legislation to codify abortion rights into law on Wednesday. The Democrats said he will file cloture on Monday and the 100-seat chamber will vote on the bill. Schumer suppressed his anger or expressed his anger in the news that the, that the Supreme Court will likely overturn Roe v. Wade. He had this to say. I am just, I cannot tell you the outrage I feel at this decision and the outrage I feel that Republicans who did it won't own up to it and duck it. It's despicable. We're not talking about anything inconsequential. We're talking about women's health, a women's right to choose, and the millions and millions and millions of American women who have felt the need to have an abortion. Just about every one of us knows someone in that situation. They want to take it all away. And they won't stop there. This right-wing retrograde court put in by our Republican Senate, many other rights are at risk if they succeed in getting this accomplished. So that's the bottom line here, folks. We have a great contrast between the Republican vision for America and our vision for America. This isn't your grandfather's Republican Party, America. It's Donald Trump's Republican Party. It's a right-wing Republican Party. 
It's a party where your children will have less rights than you did. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer. Meanwhile, GOP abortion opponent and Texas Senator Ted Cruz attacked the pro-choice supporters. Never been a leak like this before. And it was an obvious attempt to bully and intimidate the justices and the majority to, to, to cause them to change their votes. And, and the threats of violence we're seeing are escalating that even further. Leftists willing to threaten violence against justices and their families in order to try to bully or threaten or frighten them into voting the way they want. Texas Senator Ted Cruz, last week, a draft decision was leaked showing a majority of the country's top court would vote to overturn Roe v. Wade. Meanwhile, in New York, Governor Kathy Hochul, who's seeking re-election, says abortion is on the ballot now. Hochul says she will make New York safe for women who need an abortion. We want people to feel that this is a safe harbor. I mean, this is a fundamental right under assault. Come to New York. This is the birthplace of the women's rights movement. We're very proud of that. And as the first woman governor, I govern uh, the largest population of any state in the nation. We hold these, these rights dear and will fight to protect them. New York Governor Kathy Hochul. An abortion was front and center today on WBAI's Mother's Day programming. Host Frenchie Davis took calls from an abortion opponent who says men should have a choice in deciding whether to end a pregnancy. While another WBAI host, Sara Taylor, insisted women are not incubators. To say that because the, uh, the child or the, um, the fetus is in the mother, that the woman now has the absolute uh, full control that's kind of like, you know, I think that's what the real issue, you know, is all about. But I'm going to give you a, an experience that I know firsthand that my sister-in-law didn't know until she was eight months. So there are circumstances, you know. Uh, wow. And so you, you don't know, want to take those rights. No, no. These are all normal circumstances. These are all normal circumstances. These happen on a regular basis to to women. There are are enough women who can carry almost a full term and not know that they were actually expecting. That is um, a challenging anomaly. I revel in motherhood and all that it encompasses because of its magnitude. We create a space where we can hear each other. I'm, I'm sure you, uh, probably have thoughts, feelings. <laughs> so what he, I'm not he, sure. what he say exactly? He said that men should have a right to, to force a woman to have a child against her will because his sperm was involved? I think that's what he's, he's gathered. I, you know, I, if only, you know, God created the space and opportunity for us to equally share in the experience of maternity. I think the most important thing here is that women are not incubators. Women are not uh, a microwave. You put a sperm in and out you get your baby. Women are people. Women are full human beings. And women should never be reduced to that kind of less than human. And the notion that men should be, it, it just the idea that because you have a sperm, you should be able to 
force a woman and her entire social existence, her entire sense of herself, her physical safety. Do you have, I mean, some, many people do have an idea what it takes nine months of pregnancy, what that does to your physical body, your ability to sleep, your comfort, your eating, your nausea, all that that means to your body, the risk it entails. But not just the physicality of it, the social impact of it. Everybody knows you're pregnant. You're carrying a, 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 a pregnancy. There are assumptions and judgments made about what you do. If you, even this applies to Amy Coney Barrett, too, who says, oh, women should just have the baby and drop it off for adoption. As if it doesn't affect not only your physical being, your sense of self, but the social look looks and views and judgments that get put on you you know you 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 had a baby and you didn't keep it what's wrong with you aren't you a good mother speaking of mother's day all the thousands of years of shame and weight the idea that a man should have the right to force that on a woman is a view that does not see women as people but as objects and possessions and baby making machines and i'm not saying that every man that it's never painful for a man who wants a child to not be able to have a child, or that there's not anything legitimate in that, that longing. But it's illegitimate to try to force a woman to do it against her will in life. Frenchie Davis is host of WBAI's What's Going On, heard Tuesdays at 7 a.m. Sansar Taylor is host of We Only Want the World, Tuesdays at 7 p.m. President Joe Biden on Wednesday escalated his rhetorical attacks on the Republican Party and rebuked former President Donald Trump's enduring grip on the GOP. Biden says the Make American Great movement, or MAGA, spearheaded by Donald Trump, is the most extreme in U.S. history and has long held it's a, a movement that's long held that programs like Social Security can be limited or even ended. Senator Rick Scott of Florida. United States Senator, who's leading the Republican National Senatorial Campaign Committee, released what he calls the ultra-MAGA agenda. It's a MAGA agenda, all right. Let me tell you about this ultra-MAGA agenda. It's extreme, as most MAGA things are. It will actually raise taxes on 75 million American families, over 95% of whom make less than $100,000 a year. Among the hardest hit, Working families, kids with folks. Imagine you're a family of four and you don't pay, you don't make enough money to have federal taxes. You're not because you don't, you don't make enough money to pay them. You pay all your taxes, but you just don't make enough. And under this new plan, this tax plan, the ultra mag agenda, while big corporations and billionaires are going to pay nothing more, the working class folk are going to pay a hell of a lot more. And it goes further than that. This extreme Republican agenda calls for Congress. Now, this is, I'm not making this up either. You ought to really think about this. It requires a vote, if it were to pass, every five years, the Congress would have to vote to reinstate or eliminate Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid. Social Security is something seniors have paid in for their whole life. And it has to be reauthorized has to be reauthorized every five years. President Joe Biden. In more Washington news, Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell assured Americans that policymakers will do what it takes to curb surging inflation, acknowledging this could cause some pain as the United States Central Bank deployed its most powerful policy tightening in decades. 
Before I go into the details of today's meeting, I'd like to take this opportunity to speak directly to the American people. Inflation is much too high, and we understand the hardship it is causing, and we're moving expeditiously to bring it back down. We have both the tools we need and the resolve that it will take to restore price stability on behalf of American families and businesses. The economy and the country have been through a lot over the past two years and have proved resilient. It is essential that we bring inflation down if we are to have a sustained period of strong labor market conditions that benefit all. From the standpoint of our congressional mandate to promote maximum employment and price stability, the current picture is plain to see. The labor market is extremely tight and inflation is much too high. Against this backdrop, today the FOMC raised its policy interest rate by a half percentage point and anticipates that ongoing increases in the target rate for the federal funds rate will be appropriate. Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell, the Fed on Wednesday raised interest rates by 50 basis points, that's half a point, for the first time since 2000, and Powell said similar moves were on the table for June and July. The Fed chief has faced mounting criticism. He's been slow to confront inflation, which in March reached a 40-year high of 8.5% based on Labor Department's Consumer Price Index. And the Pentagon on Thursday denied that the United States has shared intelligence with Ukraine to target Russian military officials after reports emerged the previous day saying U.S. intel had helped Ukraine kill a number of Russian generals. Spokesperson John Kirby says Ukraine doesn't need U.S. help. First, the United States provides battlefield intelligence to help Ukrainians defend their country. We've talked about that quite a bit. We do not provide intelligence on the location of senior military leaders on the battlefield or participate in the targeting decisions of the Ukrainian military. The Ukrainians have, quite frankly, a lot more information than we do. This is their country, their territory, and they have capable intelligence collection abilities of their own. Ukraine combines information that we and other partners provide with the intelligence that they themselves are gathering on the battlefield. And then they make their own decisions, and they take their own actions. And I think it's important not to forget that this is a war the Russians started, and of course they can end it tomorrow. Pentagon spokesperson John Kirby, the New York Times reported on Wednesday that the United States has provided intelligence to Ukraine that helped the country kill several Russian generals. The information, according to the newspaper, was part of a program aiming to help Ukraine with real-time intelligence. Aside from intelligence, the U.S. has given Ukraine roughly $3.7 billion in security assistance since the invasion began. And in more news from the hemisphere, Cuban Foreign Minister Bruno Rodriguez expressed gratitude on Saturday for the solidarity with his country by governments, organizations, and friends after the tragic accident at the Saratoga Hotel in Havana. The foreign minister tweeted the messages of support for the Cuban people and the families of the victims at this time of affliction have arrived from several parts of the world. Cuba has received multiple messages from Russia, Venezuela, Nicaragua, Mexico, Peru, China, Syria, and Argentina, just to mention a few. The United States wasn't mentioned. In a show of solidarity, several Cuban cultural institutions suspended their presentations and citizens spontaneously went to donate their blood to support the care of the wounded. The explosion at the Saratoga Hotel, an emblematic tourist establishment in Havana, occurred on Friday morning as a tanker truck laden with liquefied gas was serving the facilities. And you're listening to the news on WBAI New York. I'm Paul Durienzo. 
It's been a busy weekend for Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer. Schumer joined other uh, lawmakers, advocates, and celebrities in New York City on Saturday to speak at a marijuana rally as he works to finalize a bill to end federal cannabis prohibition. They deserve a lot of our thanks and applause. And I want to thank everyone in New York State who got the Marijuana Regulation and Tax Act passed, MARTA, which I called up on legislators to support. I do not want, and we I'll tell you something else I care a whole lot about. Expungement of records. Yeah! People who decades ago were given huge criminal sentences because of the over-criminalization of marijuana should no longer be held accountable. And we want to make that part of our legislation as well, which is so, so important. We want to make sure that small businesses, businesses led by people of color, by Native Americans, can partake in the benefits of selling marijuana. That has to happen, too. So there's a lot that has to happen. I'm going to fight with you. Senators Booker and Wyden and I are introducing our legislation. We're going to then get all our Republicans on board, as many as we can, get on board and fight till we get our 60 votes. The sooner we get this done, the better. Again, no amount of rain is going to stop me from coming here. No amount of rain is going to stop you from fighting. Let's fight the fight. Are we going to win? Yeah. Are we going to legalize cannabis from one end of America to the other? Yeah. Representative Jerry Nadler was there, too. But we have much more work to do before it becomes law. That's why I'm working with other champions of reform in Congress, like Chuck Schumer, to enact legislation rooted in the key principles of equity and community reinvestment. We have lived through decades of failed cannabis policies, and it's time for a change. Together, we will reform our cannabis laws. Justice demands it, and we will do it. Thank you. Representative Jerry Nadler. The rally, an annual event for half a century, was partially rained out, but that didn't stop several dozen cannabis devotees from marching from Herald Square to Union Square Park, where they heard speeches and listened to music. Marijuana was smoke. Marijuana smoke was thick, and one person had a crate of marijuana plants he was selling. Since last year, pot has been legal to possess in New York, including up to six cannabis plants. So to beat the price, you can grow your own. And this month marks 52 years since the invasion of Cambodia, ordered by then-President Richard Nixon, sparked uprising and protests at thousands of college campuses across the United States. This weekend, the killing of four students and wounding of nine others, including one person who was permanently paralyzed, was commemorated at Kent State University. The sister of Allison Krauss, a student killed by one of the 67 or so bullets fired by Ohio National Guard troops, is Laurel Krauss. She discussed the shooting on May 4th on the podcast by George, hosted by George Clark. Krauss says the shooting was started by a known police agent. Named Terry Norman, I, I was not there. This is what I've been able to put together. He brought out his pistol. It was shiny, one of those nickel-plated pistols. And the sun, it was shiny. It was a beautiful day. 
big billowy clouds, gorgeous day, and the sun ricocheted off the, the pistol. He pulled it out, and the students attacked him and started uh, punching him. And the reason why I know this is because there was a recording. Someone on their dormitory ledge was recording the whole event. And this preceded the, the massacre. And they hear him getting the, you can hear the fist landing against Terry Norman. And Terry Norman manages to get away from the crowd, even though they're attacking him. And I've seen pictures of it, so I, I know it really did happen. And uh, he manages to get away, and he runs, and he shoots off his pistol, uh, you know, four times. Now, the guardsmen at this point are marching up the hill, and they're almost marching behind, beyond the peak because he had been waylaid when he the students attacked him. But he managed to get it off. He shoots his pistol. The guard then says, someone in the guard who's not wearing a gas mask, there's only a couple of them that aren't wearing gas masks, gives the command to fire. And he says, all right, guard, to begin the the fire, the, the, the command. And the command is not by any military standard whatsoever. All right, guard, you know, uh, command, you know, ready, set. And then the fire, you know, and so they, they turn all in unison because they were going up this hill away from the students. They all turn in unison. They all shoot in unison. So obviously that proves that there was a command. You can't all turn in unison and shoot in unison. That's critical. That. Yeah. They didn't have the same thought in their head as my mother says. So basically that's what happened with the Kent State. The first shot was Terry Norman, FBI informant, provocateur, and then the guardsmen then shoot. They shoot, they shot to kill. It was with M1s, with bullets that that explode upon impact, very illegal. My oh, sister yeah. had, had a portion of that every in every organ of her body these assault rifles today and i talk about this on my podcast all the time you talk about being struck by bullets it's like being struck struck by a pop can i mean that's that's what these uh, rifles are intended to do they're not intended to wound or bring down assailants that's not what they're intended to do they're intended to blow you apart and that's that's what they do. In fact, I want to bring this shoot for two miles and yeah. so there were there were shot elements everywhere Laurel Krauss is the younger sister of Alison Krauss, one of four students at Kent State protesting the U.S. invasion of Cambodia. On May 15th, National Guard troops opened fire at mostly black University of Mississippi, killing two students, both African-American. And in local news, a 25-year-old prisoner died in custody on Rikers Island yesterday. It's the latest death as the city tries to avoid the federal government's taking control of the jail complex. Deshaun Carter was pronounced dead just before 5 p.m. on Saturday. It was the fourth death at Rikers this year and the 20th death since the start of 2021. Carter arrived at Rikers on Thursday, charged with basically minor offenses. Rikers is currently under the oversight of a federal monitor and Manhattan U.S. Attorney Damian Williams. Mayor Eric Adams, a former cop, was asked, has asked for more time to fix the jail. And Governor Kathy Hochul was expecting to spend the last month taking a a victory lap after completing her first budget deal and delivering billions of dollars for projects across New York. Instead, the Democratic governor had her worst month in office since she succeeded scandal-scarred Andrew Cuomo's last August. She slogged through April, cleaning up after her lieutenant governor's federal bribery charges and resignation, deciphering court decisions regarding now-defunct congressional and state Senate district lines of her fellow Democrats, drawing 
uh, and fending off criticism of millions of dollars in state funding she's sending to keep Buffalo Bills, the Buffalo Bills in New York. All of it led to her poll numbers to sag. Within, uh, so um, just jumping ahead, I'm sorry about that. She uh, has trying to turn everything around by um, appointing, introducing a new lieutenant governor, Representative Antonio Delgado of Hudson Valley. He was appointed Tuesday as lieutenant governor uh, to boost Hochul after uh, her former lieutenant governor resigned. She made the statement uh, the other day. Exciting day for the future of New York because Antonio Delgado is the right person for this job. And just a few months ago, I outlined my state's vision for the state's future. I talked about the incredible hardship we endured over these years, but I said, better days are on the horizon. Now we have a new era for New York. And I said, this is the beginning of New York's greatest comeback. We must embrace this moment of unlimited possibilities, create a better, fair, more equitable version of the American dream, the dream that we call the New York dream. We have a lot of work ahead of us, my friends, but I promise not to stop working until we make that dream real. And I know I can say the same about Antonio. And I have no doubt, no doubt whatsoever, that New Yorkers will be so proud to get to know their new lieutenant governor and he'll embrace them with the same enthusiasm that I have. And that was um, that was the governor, Governor Hochul, speaking about uh, her new lieutenant governor, who um, uh, the music was was in the clip that was given to me, so um, that we did not put that in there. Uh, she did as well, Antonio Delgado, the new lieutenant governor of New York. And finally, the German air- airship Hindenburg exploded into flames on May 6th, 1937. That's 85 years ago, just a couple of days ago, at an airfield in Lakehurst, New Jersey. Uh, 34 passengers were killed and a person on the ground, making it 35. There were 97 on board. The cause of the explosion was never determined, with speculation of possible sabotage of the swastika-bearing flagship of the Nazi state to an errant spark. The spot in New Jersey where the disaster occurred was designated an historic landmark in 1968. Radio fans might remember the famous um, Oh, the Humanity, Oh, the Humanity uh, statement by the reporter who was there at the scene giving live commentary, a rare occurrence in those days. And therefore, the Hindenburg disaster is not just a airship, but also a radio milestone. And that's some of the news for Sunday, May 8th, 2022. The news is produced with Linda Perry. Our engineer is Max Schmid from New York City. Back again, back here in my home. I'm Paul DiRienzo. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.